Welcome, gamers, to Basement Arcade Pause Menu, the show where we hit pause, sit back, and just chill. I'm your host, Ben Magnet, and today on the show, not only do I have a Twitch streamer, but he's also a podcaster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, and yet another one of my friends from Twitter. Ding. The well-read mage, Red. How's it going, buddy? Yo, yo, yo. How are you? Thanks Doing good. for having so, me. I- I kind of made like this little joke on one of my past few episodes that every time like 90% of my guests on the show are like mutuals or friends of mine from Twitter. So it's like a little ding needs to pop up every time I say, oh, yeah, this is a friend of mine from Twitter. <laughs> a notch on the belt, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another notch on the belt. So before we get into today's, today's topic, Red, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into video games? How'd you come up with the name Well Red Mage? And also, which is your favorite Final Fantasy? Because I have mine. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna take those backwards. Uh, for right. favorite Final Fantasy is Chrono Trigger. Oh, uh, if you do not think it's a Final Fantasy, I would love to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, I, so I haven't played Final. Uh, I have played Final Fantasy. I haven't played right. Chrono Trigger yet. Okay. I have the DS port. It's in my. It's in my drawer. It's right. It's on my. It's like that's one of my games I want to beat this year. Nice. So you're gonna it's, enjoy it's it. Yeah, yeah, you're I, gonna enjoy it. I got lucky. I got that thing. It's CIB. It has the poster. It's apparently it was one of the oh. first print runs. I got that sucker for $75 on eBay. Nice. Uh, those are going up in price. And I'm they sure are. that is something that's going to pop up again as a topic as we get into our main uh, later on on the show. I mean, definitely, it definitely will be. I mean, the box, the, it's like the case itself isn't in the best condition. It's got a few like little scratches, a few dents, but the inside, the game is pristine. The manual looks really good. The poster is gorgeous. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to put the poster up because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. This is even what because all the posters I have hung up here are with command strips. I don't have, I don't have tap, uh, tax, uh-huh. but at the same time, it's like I don't want to hang it up just yet. Right. Yeah, I would advise you, having been a fan of Chrono Trigger for a long time, having seen sort of the astronomic rise of the value of Chrono Trigger, uh, don't hang that up. (laughs) If you do frame it, like put it behind glass or Mm -hmm. or whatever they, you know, poster frame or something. uh, But yeah, don't don't hang that up. Uh, So Chrono Trigger, if I'm not going to cheat, it's not cheating. They called it a Final Fantasy. They did. Square Mm. did. Uh, go to my website, thepixels.com, the dash pixels.com. I wrote an article, seven reasons why Chrono Trigger is a Final Fantasy. Uh, but if you don't want me to cheat and pick a numerical, I'm going to say Final Fantasy VI. I'm uh, one of those uh, basic people, I guess. <laughs> no, I Final Fantasy VI is the go-to. <laughs> uh, this, I, okay, this isn't a knock on Final Fantasy VII, but if I had yeah. to say what the basic... Um, answer was for people who say what their favorite Final Fantasy is, I would have to say seven might be the yeah. basic answer. Yeah. Now, not to say that seven's not a bad game; it's a tremendous game. Right. Six is also re- is amazing. Once again, haven't played through all of six, but I've heard so many good things about six. I listened to oh, yeah. the soundtrack count- countless times. Yeah. It's like I need to play six. But yeah. all right, okay. I, hey, six is a great game. That's yeah, it is. It is. I, I think you're on to. I mean, seven may be the most popular it is maybe like especially currently yeah especially like currently i mean it's the best-selling final fantasy also Mm -hmm. the og so so there's that um you asked how did i get the name the well-read mage Mm -hmm. Uh, i I think right um so six years ago uh, i started a blog with three friends and i was gonna stupidly call it red mage reviews Hmm. 
basic again. Right. And then, so my wife, <laughs> my wife who is amazing punster, she goes, why don't you call it the well-read mage and make it a pun? And I was like, marry me again. So, uh, I didn't even come up with the name. I just get to use it. Um, that's, that's still pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a fun little homage to you know, a series that I love. Uh, yes, and then what was your first question? Cause I took them backwards. So now no, I'm that's like, totally fine. Uh, sometimes I forget, but the first question I had was how exactly you got into video games. Uh, that's the NES. The okay. NES is, uh, so I started playing, uh, DOS and Commodore 64 with dad and dad's friends when I was very young. I remember nice. some of the early adventure games and things like that. Uh, Zach McCracken, Maniac Mansion, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. It was really the NES that became like my personal system to where I started feeling like, okay, I love games individually. Right. It's not something that I just do with dad. This is something that like I can sit down and enjoy myself. Um, so the NES was huge for me. I mean, I, I pretended I was sick to get out of everything just to play Zelda. Huge, huge game. <laughs> you got lucky because when I was homesick, my mom had, to, my mom was like, no video games because her, Ooh, her she knew <laughs> no, they're a lot well so i wasn't that kid who tried to fake being sick i was the good kid when i was growing up uh, so when i was sick i was sick you were Only, sick, sick yeah it wasn't until like i want to say high school or maybe even middle school when i would go to my mom and tell her i was feeling garbage i didn't want to go to school that day because back when i was in elementary school i had to like prove that i was sick like she'd take my temperature if i like if i puked in front even if i puked in front of her she was still hmm i don't know <laughs> Brush your teeth. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but then she would, um, but she would, like, I'd be laying at home. I'd just be watching TV, you know, with my little chicken noodle soup and my Sprite. But the whole thing was she, she said that if I was well enough to play video games, then I was well enough to go to school. Oh, And it wasn't wow. until, like, high school, middle school, like, when I really got sick and I was out of, like, I go to mom. I was like, mom, I feel garbage. Can I please stay home? She would just do this and go back to bed. You're going, you're staying home today. I'm like, thank you. And I just <laughs> played the whole day. Wow. 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 I, it's definitely a different dynamic. I mean, so I went to public school for a time, uh, when you're homeschooled, it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to be like, Hey, can I stay home from school? Yeah. Uh, you know, charter schools, private schools, I've done online schools mm -hmm. as a kid. Schooling was interesting where I grew up. Uh, so yeah, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. When it did work, it was, it was awesome. Cause you got to play. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. Well, there was, I think there was one time where I was just like laying in my own bed, just like, I, I didn't even want to move. Like I did, because normally when I was sick, I'd go leave my bed, go to the couch where the TV was. I just like watch TV all day, and I'm just like cuddle up in my blanket, just like not moving. One day I'm just like in my room. My mom comes in and she's like, she's trying to find. She's like, "Do you want your? Is your DS around here? Where's your? Where's your game console?" I'm just like, "It's, it's over there. Do you want it? Yes, please." She goes <laughs> at it. She just put next to my. She just put next to my nightstand. She's like, "Okay, you rest now. You if you want to play games, that's fine." And then she just leave. I'm like, "There you go. Welcome, welcome nice." <laughs> Nice, nice, nice. It eventually yeah. worked out. Eventually it worked out, yeah. But of course, when I was like sick, sick, I was sick, sick. I didn't try yeah. to be like, Mom, I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak a Game Boy under the covers. Yeah, yeah I those, mean, those there, days. Oh, man. Of course, when I got my Game Boy Advance SP with the backlight, it's like, now I can play in the dark under the covers. But then I yeah. have to like make sure the volume was down because if I heard my parents move, I have to like turn it off and. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> That whole uh, that that old chestnut. Yeah. So, uh, Red, today we're we're doing a, a topic that 
I wouldn't say it's controversial, but I would definitely say is up for a good heated debate in some circles, both both retro and in modern video games. And that is the debate of whether to collect physical games or digital games. Now, before we start, I uh, once again, I want to preface this, that there are no hard feelings here. And <laughs> especially down in the comments on Twitter or anything, whatever you pick that is your personal preference we will not be like striking down and attacking the people for said opinions. It is your opinion. That's your that's your choice. You do you. As long as you're not using my money to buy stuff, I don't care. Right. <laughs> it's a great way to preface it. I, I was just mm -hmm. thinking, you know, as you were saying, uh, I think you nailed that and that it's it's one of those things that's not controversial, but people mm -hmm. argue about it for some they reason. Do constantly and in my view you know thinking about it what a dumb thing to argue about like why yeah. does it why does it bother a person individually what another person individually decides to spend their money on especially when it's essentially the same product just packaged mm -hmm. differently so that you know i was i was kind of putting together a couple of notes uh just to keep my brain in the same uh theme mm -hmm. uh it really kind of dawned on me that this is this is a, a, a play how you like sort of issue. This is a collect how you like issue. You use the word preference. Preference is mm -hmm. an inherently personal. Yeah. Um, I can't have somebody else's preference unless I prefer that person to have mm -hmm. their way. But if I'm buying something for me, it's going to be my preference. Exactly. So. Exactly. And to get into that, the topic today is buying physical games or buying digital games. Now, red what is your personal preference? What do you like? Do you like going to a brick and mortar store and getting the physical game? Or do you just prefer to just hit the buy now button on the eShop or the or the whatever store it is and just play the game digitally? Yeah, well, I don't own any any physical games at all. I, I have zero. All this back here is just a painting that I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to say it's like, hmm, that's a little sus, but <laughs> Uh, so there's, there's degrees, right? I actually don't enjoy going to brick and mortar, uh, chains like GameStop. Um, there's usually stuff there that I'm not surprised to find. Um, I'll go if I'm like, I want to pick up a game day one, but even that is kind of fading for me. I don't like to buy day one. Mm -hmm. Um, I like other people to figure out if this game is, is got bugs or anything or needs a patch or whatever. Uh, but I do still like going to local retro shops. Okay. Uh, having just moved uh, to a new area uh, mm -hmm. near a city, there's a lot. Uh, dude, there are amazing uh, retro shops down here. <laughs> and checking them out, uh, you know, I was surprised. Like, I found Other M uh, for Wii for, like, five bucks. Ooh. I found Xenogears not too long ago for, like, 15 bucks. And these are things that were, like, they're in the case. Case isn't perfect. But still, like that's cool to own those things. Whereas you hop online, eBay. Everybody knows at this point that eBay is jacked up. Mm -hmm. eBay is is hugely. I mean, somebody sees, oh, this game sold for a hundred bucks on eBay. That means I can sell mine for more than that, and then that just kind of spirals from there. Um, so my preference, though, is definitely for physical. Mm -hmm. um, for me. So, you know, being a video game critic, uh, as far as like I mean, a writer, um, that's been the kind of the theme of my website for this these past six years has been studying video games, 
figuring out how they work and how they work for people um, and whether they work intrinsically or there's something that's that gets in the way of that experience or not. Um, a lot of a lot of the times what comes up is the subject of nostalgia, right? Right. Um, nostalgia seems to be a dirty word to some people. And I don't really know why. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, right. It's like it's one of those things that's like people will say, ah, oh, it's just nostalgia. What do you mean by just nostalgia? Nostalgia is just a feeling, an emotion that's attached to some object or some topic from your past. It's it's deeply personal. I wouldn't want to take that away from anybody. So I bring up the subject of nostalgia because for me, I think that there is an extra layer of nostalgia inherent in purchasing physical, especially if you're a retro gamer, right? I don't know if you could be nostalgia for the PS5 right now, just by the definition of of nostalgia. But, I mean, I, I don't even own a PS5 at the time. So. Right, exactly. Neither do I. So, uh, But for retro gamers, you know, people collecting physical, I think that predominantly... It seems to be like a split of, and this is just an observation. I don't have stats on this, but it seems to be that the split is retro people who play more retro games prefer physical, whereas people who play more modern games prefer digital. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not, again, I don't have numbers on that. Um, I do right. know that there's no, like, say, digital only version of the Super Nintendo besides the mini. Um, whereas for like the PS5, obviously there's the disc and then there's the disc less version. So for me, nostalgia, a huge element when I purchase um, a game from my past, um, trying to think of an example. Also, like specifically a game that's meant a lot to me in the past was Breath of Fire 2 from Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. um, it helped craft an interest in me in comparative religion and studying that as I became an adult. So that game to me is like, you know, it belongs in a museum, but at the same time, it's a very personal item. So right. I lost that somewhere down the road. I don't even know what yard sale, what move, what box it might've ended up in. It was just not a part of my collection. So I bought one recently, mm -hmm. uh, in beautiful condition with, uh, you know, the manual, the posters, the inserts and the box and the cartridge. And it's just gorgeous. That to me is a feeling satisfies the feeling rather let me say that nothing digital can really do and so okay. i think that we're beginning to build a case for why that's my preference but it also mm -hmm. helps to i think illustrate differences between digital and physical now you mentioned nostalgia and i kind of want to talk to touch on that because i do agree there is an element of nostalgia when it comes to buying physical games because i definitely have that you and i we i assume we both grew up in the 90s Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was born yeah. in 85. Uh, I don't remember much of the 80s, but definitely <laughs> remember, remember the 90s. Yeah. You have a few years on me. I was born in 90, but I still remember a good chunk of the 90s. I remember. Yeah. And when I every time I see old commercials or when I like where I'm doing research or I'm reading about something and say, oh, yeah, back in 92, I was like, oh, yeah, I was a, I was a toddler. But <laughs> at the same, but I still have these core memories of like seeing the PlayStation for the first time. Like one mm -hmm. of the things when I, I went to a friend's house, it was by sheer luck. I was at one of my girlfriend's friend's houses. He turns on his PS4 and I hear the oh, the boot up sound for the original PlayStation. And I'm going, what, what is that? And it's like, what the heck is And then it's a PS4. I was like, wait, how'd you get that? It's like, oh yeah, dude, it's like a free thing. It's like a, three, a free theme you can get on PlayStation. Yeah. I 
go the second I get home, I turn on my PlayStation Four and I get that theme. So now every time it starts up, it's the classic PlayStation boot up. Okay, so I, I didn't know that. that existed until just now. Oh, I'm really? taking notes because I need to go install that on my PS4. It's the That's PlayStation Twentieth Anniversary. I think it's a theme. So yeah, just like okay. look, the, look for the theme. Like the only bummer is that when you put in like a Blu-ray or something, the game, the like, because when you put in a Blu-ray and when it's like the normal theme, you get like a cover of the, like the movie cover or whatever. Oh yeah, and yeah. This time it's just like it's just a disc it's a multicolored okay. disc but at the same time you got like the the little button logos the triangle the square and the and the x just like are floating around the screen it that's awesome and, and really i just get it so i could turn on my playstation and i hear the classic boot up sound yeah yeah because that no, that's nostalgia it is it is and i mean if we're honest uh the gaming industry knows how to market towards nostalgia mm. uh that's a perfect example right there when we've seen re-releases of classic consoles i mentioned the super nintendo mini mm -hmm. obviously there's the nintendo mini the tg16 mini the genesis mini the uh ill-conceived playstation one mini the game and watch yes exactly now, I do I have know. a Zelda one. The Zelda one's down there. This is oh, my Mario one. Excellent. That was one that I drove to a brick and mortar store day one. It was like, I, <laughs> I want this definitely. Oh, I, had uh, wait, I waited a while to get mine. But once I got it, at, at first, my girlfriend was like, you don't need it. You don't need it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Doing that. I thought about it. I was like, but I want it, though. But I want it. <laughs> That's the yeah. yeah. With definitely. that, you want to know how many ways I could play the original Super Mario Bros? Go, shoot. Eight. I have eight. eight I have eight different ways to play the original Super Mario Bros, including my Game & Watch. Ah, that's pretty legit. Yeah. That is legit. I mean, it was thinking about Nintendo. Nintendo is obviously capitalizing on nostalgia. And they've been around the longest of the yeah. big three mm -hmm. uh, as far as producing video games. So it makes sense that they would capitalize on that. But it's mm -hmm. something to be aware of, I think, that nostalgia is not a bad thing. Your yeah. emotions are not inherently... You know, it's not inherently evil for you to find something that attaches you to your past. I think that's a that's a good thing. It's it yeah. helps you reflect upon your life. Yeah, like um, one a game I bought, and this was a few years ago. This was in before times when we can go to conventions and we can go to trade shows and we don't have to worry about the virus murdering us in our sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was at a retro game convention, which was also being held at a fame a trade show close to my house. That I love going to. And I saw a copy of Ape Escape on sale for about $15. It was the greatest hits version of Ape Escape. Gorgeous. I, was, I remember renting that game and absolutely loving it. I must have rented it like three or four times, but I never owned it outright. So when I saw this copy of Ape Escape, I'm like, I need this. So, of course, I buy it. I play it a little bit. And I'm like, man, this, this brings back memories. This feels... I get that warm and fuzzy feeling. When I finally re-got a copy of Mega Man X4 at a pretty decent price... I'm like, this was my, the first Mega Man X game I ever played, and I rented it from uh, Blockbuster, and I have it in, the, in my collection again. There you go. Yeah, that's it exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's not easy to get, and I think we'll get into the pros and cons or whatever. Uh, I don't know how you have this structured, but mm -hmm. uh, it's nice when there's a decent, authentic uh remaster or remake because that right. lets you kind of get access to some of those things again because let's mm -hmm. face it access to uh all retro games might be impossible uh, yeah. even physically i mean just oh, yeah. you can't so there's other elements that come in that mm -hmm. can help you access those things there there most certainly are and before we move any further my preference is also physical i like having okay. physical 
to me, seeing um, a wall, a game collector's wall, like the wall you have behind you, I think that's gorgeous. Like all your games on display, everything being there, because um, you can't see it, but my games are dis- are stored in a dresser behind me because I don't have really space or shelf space to to properly display them. But they're safe. They're 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 okay. Mm-hmm. And, but when you open up the drawer, it's like, look at this collection. It's not a big collection, mind you, but it's still it's like this is my collection. Right, this is what right, I've right. gotten over the years. And I'm also the type of collector that when I do go to purchase a game, be it physical or digital, I buy it with every intention to play it. May yes. I play it right away? Probably not, because I mean backlogs exist and they are a thing and they hurt my soul. But <laughs> I buy it with the hundred with the intention to eventually sit down and play the game one way or the yeah. other. Yeah, a couple of things there that you mentioned that are really interesting to me. Uh, one is uh, it's really easy as collectors, I think, for us to compare our collections with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of flexing that goes on and a lot of, you know, makes it seem like a measuring contest. I think that whole element of sort of like machoism is just unnecessary. Yeah, uh, I think we can be really happy for each other. And what we've we've each individually collected. And that's that I think comes back again to that idea of these items meaning something to you personally. There are some folks that I know and bless them. They do their own thing. If that makes them happy, that's fine. Um, that just want the biggest collection. Um, yeah. I Perhaps out of a flex. Sometimes it seems that way. Perhaps that again, that's just what makes them happy. And that's cool for mm-hmm. them. Uh, I don't think that any collector needs to be ashamed of the size of their collection, uh, the monetary investment that they've poured into that and into their collection. Uh, if a collection means something to you personally, to me, that's more impressive than, Hey, look at this wall that resembles like a Walmart retail shelf because it's entirely (laughs) covered with games. Uh, it's cool that you can afford to create an entire, you know, North American PS three collection. Um, but how many of those do you have a personal connection to? Do you know why they bought them? The second thing that you mentioned there is the backlog. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also buy things with the intention of playing them. I've never really thought about doing a complete North American collection or anything like that. As cool as that sounds, um, because they have to be games for me that I'm going to consume. Otherwise it's kind of just it's a thing that I'm going to put on my shelf. <laughs> That's just yeah. going to collect us. I mean, I, I marvel at like, so there's YouTubers, like one, a YouTuber I want to bring up is Scott, the Was. He has a huge giant game collection and he's probably, and I'm not going to, sh- and this is not me shaming him or anything, but there are games in his collection that I know I personally wouldn't buy because I know I just don't want to play it. But of right. course, that's his. He likes buying these games. He likes collecting them. And that's, I say, go for it, dude. Right. You do you. You let your freak flag fly. And that goes to every other collector who said who like because there is one exception because I did buy a, a lot of Atari 2600 games. Now, I don't own an Atari 2600, but this lot contained um, games such as Razor Lost Ark, Space Invaders, and of course, the infamous E.T. <laughs> and, the re- and the reason why I wanted to get those games is because I wanted a piece of history. Like I wanted E.T. Right, right. because of his its, its historical uh, revel, um, its historical value. Not because I, I don't plan to sell it. I don't plan to get rid of it. I want a copy of the game because I'm also seeing as a way to preserve it. And also right. I talked to Howard Scott Warshaw a few months ago. And that was, and I was like, this is a piece of history right here. I want to protect it because I feel like it needs to be protected. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
I, you know, and I don't mean to say that the cruising through the backlog is the only reason to collect games. There's mm -hmm. certainly a variety of reasons. Again, if that makes a person happy, um, then that's their life. I mean, people are yeah. entitled to that pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's great. Part of what shaped, uh, my collecting most recently is having to do a big move, mm -hmm. uh, across the country. And I was like, crap, why did I buy so many physical games? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I, every because I've moved houses quite a bit. I'm, I think we're playing another move later this year. And I can definitely tell you just look at I had to do some cullings every time I moved either with yeah. my, my library downstairs or sometimes even with my video games. And it hurts. But then, of course, I make room for new stuff. But now the stuff I have, it's like I don't want to get rid of it because reasons. Right, right, right. So for me, that was, you know, I spent a lot of years just kind of accumulating stuff and people would give me stuff. Uh, they'd be like, hey, I'm moving. You want to take my collection? I'm like, sure. Uh, <laughs> but now I think I'm at a stage in life where I just really want to collect for a few key systems. Mm -hmm. So I actually did get rid of some collections for specific systems that I either have access to separately in, say, collections or minis um, that I don't really feel any, any personal attachment to mm -hmm. the physical product itself. So those were things that I got rid of. Now I really focus on collecting for PS1, uh, Super Nintendo, and Nintendo. And then whatever I want to play that's modern, you know, PS4 or Switch okay. games. So yeah. um, I think that focusing down, for me, again, really kind of helped um, not just, you know, run out of space. Because that is one of the things, you yeah. know, with physical I, games. I mean, once again... I mentioned earlier about uh, about counters of things I've mentioned so many times on the show. Uh, space is a big factor for me. I don't have the space to properly display my PS4, my PS, my PlayStation collection on shelves. I, they're in a drawer in my dresser. I don't have the space to display my 3DS or my Switch collection. They're in a drawer in my dresser or in front of my TV right now in front of my system. Because um, right now the games I normally I aim to collect for are Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, and Nintendo DS and 3DS games because they're smaller. They're smaller. Mm. They're more compact, and it, they're easier to the store and put away. If I find a good PlayStation One game that I've been wanting and it's at a decent price, hell yeah, I'll pick it up. But other than that, it's just I have I know what I want to aim for because space is a factor. And you mentioned earlier, um, like with the minis, I don't really <clears throat> excuse me. I don't really need to collect a whole bunch of SNES or Genesis tiles because I have an SNES and a Genesis mini hooked up. And that's has a lot of the games that I've really wanted to play, or I have access to those retro games through other services, which I feel this is a good way to dove to uh, transition into um, digital games. Mm -hmm. So do you have any digital games in your collection or, or are you, or do you just like, it's like, yeah, I'll probably pick up a few digital games here and there, but so if a game were to go, what would be the catalyst for you to get a digital game? So uh, digital for me, as far as digital purchases, uh, so if we're going to just mention emulation, say for a mm -hmm. second, it's easy to mod a mini. Um, it's <clears throat> easy to set up a pie. I set up a pie um, mm -hmm. with games that you can't really get elsewhere. MAME stuff, for instance uh translated super famicom stuff it's also got a bunch of nes and super nes stuff on there so i can access those if i want to in an hdmi format uh but i don't really consider emulation part of my collection 
Okay. Um, I don't really consider going to a website and downloading ROMs collecting, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that in terms of access. Um, but digital purchases, though, for me, are usually in the realm of indies um, mm -hmm. that I'm not sure are going to get a physical release. Mm -hmm. Um so like Hades is an example, right? I don't know if you've played Hades. Excellent. Game. I, I have actually, <clears throat> I have the physical version. I, oh, cool. When I heard that they were doing a physical version of Hades, like I, I completely understand for, for indie games because this will probably be a, a thing to bring up later, but limited run. Yes, yes, yeah. Because I cannot tell it because one of my favorite games of 2020 was Panzer Paladin that mm -hmm. was put out by Tribute. I absolutely love that game. It's definitely one of my favorite games that came out that year. And then when Limited Run comes up, it's like, hey, we're doing a physical version. I'm kind of mad because like, well, shit, I already bought the, the digital copy. <laughs> Do I really need a physical one? Which eventually right. they did a blowout sale and I bought the physical one anyway because I'm a shill. That's how you, yeah, double dipping, triple dipping, quadruple dipping. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done it. Yeah. I Again, if it's reasonably, you know, like I played Hades when it first came out and mm -hmm. I had no idea if it was going to be a success or if it was going to be getting a physical down the road. I just knew I wanted to play it. And the nice thing with with digital is it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Usually, sometimes mm -hmm. you can get a pretty good sale on it. Um, so pre predominantly indies. Uh, I survived my first Steam scale, Steam sale <laughs> recently. Uh, I've heard nightmares about that. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I talk to some people on Steam and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've got 40,000 unplayed games in my collection. I was like, that to me doesn't sound like a collection, but you do you. So yes. I recently got a PC and, you know, there's like steam sales come and brace yourselves. And I was like, oh, gosh, oh, no. But I went through it and tried to identify games that I could not get elsewhere mm -hmm. that I couldn't get physical, that I couldn't get on consoles, because for me, it's just more comfortable to sit on a couch in front of a TV than yeah. sit at my computer and use a mouse and keyboard. So mm -hmm. a couple of things, strategy games, you know, much rather play on a PC and then some indie games played minute. Um, I think there's a physical for that, but it might be one of those rarer ones like limited run and super rare games, something like that. So that to me is more of the digital realm. Um, yeah. but it's not a huge collection. I have like a dozen steam games or something right. like that. Yeah. For, for me, um, a really good way for me to do like a digital purchase mm -hmm. is especially when I'm. Uh, when the game is essentially on sale for stupid cheap. Like, I think I got The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, the complete edition for the PS4 of The Witcher 3, for like $15. Yeah. It was it was a <laughs> massive PlayStation sale, and a buddy of mine texted me and said, if you do not buy this game, we're no longer friends. I mean, he was kidding, <laughs> but, I mean, I bought The Witcher. I was like, let's well, like, how much is Witcher 3? Oh, it's $10, and this game physical is like still 60 or maybe even $20, but it's like, here it is still ten dollars cheaper i have ten dollars in my bank i have more than ten dollars in my bank account yeah i could i can do this i'll so i go ahead and purchase it but one thing about the digital games that i have to say is that there are times i forget i own certain digital games yeah which yep, is a yep. bit which is a bit of an issue especially with playstation because um playstation plus you get two free games or a few free games every month like i have transformers devastation uh the original the resident evil remake I have a, a For Honor, uh, the Hitman games. I have a bunch of free games that I don't play because I forget I have them. And then when I'm going through my library, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did buy that. Or I did get that. Yeah. 
It's I I mean, I feel like when you can see an object on your shelf, mm -hmm. it's much easier to remember than uh, a list, a digital yeah. list on your computer screen or on a TV screen. Um, but you can't be the the affordability. And, the, you know, I tried to like think of like the 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 pros and cons and then the things that were uh, opposites in in digital and physical so it's mm -hmm. like with with digital you have that element of affordability uh that's yeah. how i played horizon zero dawn it was like ten dollars a year later and well, i got complete edition i got horizon zero dawn the complete edition for free it was like during it was during like the height of the pandemic playstation did a thing where it's like oh yeah stay at home stay right at right home. right so like during their play yeah. at home thing and they offered the complete horizon zero dawn for no added cost it came yeah. with the digital art book and everything and yeah. I was like waiting for it to be able to download. So I'm like, cool, boom, downloaded. And it's on yeah. my it's on my PS4, like my PlayStation library, but I just haven't played it yet. Right. Yeah. So I you know, browsing is is I think it presents different issues if it's physical or digital. Um, as we've been discussing, affordability. Uh, I think that affordability is definitely leans towards digital, but then if you're talking about increase in value i think that leans more toward physical yeah so you know that that digital horizon zero dawn that you and i both bought is now essentially worthless it's downloaded mm -hmm. onto that system and it'll stay there unless they give us some method of transferring it to other systems down the road whatever mm -hmm. um i don't even know if that already exists or not because i don't have a ps5 but <laughs> if it does exist cool but you're still just transferring something that you already got once, right? You can never resell that. Um, you can never see it increase in value. That is one of the things that makes makes me a little uncomfortable personally with uh, with physical collecting is people treating it like they're flipping houses, like it's yeah. an investment, you know? Yeah. Like, like they're on, you know, like HDTV or something like that, just buying something to flip. Um, that of course i think helps drive the the overall costs and prices of the market up but it is it is essentially true that these older items are not getting reprints even if they did they can't by definition reprint an original no. um and those originals aren't getting in any better condition and they aren't getting any more common so it makes sense that the value for those items increases over time uh, and that's just something that is uniquely physical. Yeah. The, the second you mentioned of people buying these older games to in, in essence to try and make them an investment and flip them. I really just, well, I mean, once again, I don't want to shame anyone. I, this isn't what the show is about. <laughs> We're, this isn't a, an angry, like, let's get mad and yell and call people stupid. I hate doing <clears> it. I don't want, there's too much of that in the world already, but mm -hmm. that's definitely something that turns me off when I talk to um, that, like, for example, if I were to talk to another retro video game collector and I say, oh, yeah, I bought this game, this game, and I can't wait to resell it at a higher price. I'm like, dude, don't do that. It's, like, <laughs> it's also like um, when someone like when Metroid Dread came out, I was trying so hard to get a special edition. I eventually got a special edition day one. I was luckily a, a GameStop that wasn't that was close, closer to me had one. They were able to hold it for me. But I was talking to other people in in the video game world and someone would say oh yeah a buddy of mine just uh got he used a bot he got a lot of them and he's scalped and he's like selling them on his ebay i was like how dare you it's like dude yeah. i want this game because i've been looking forward to it since its announcement and i've been i played through all the metroid games all the 2d ones not the not the prime ones yet 
and I've been I am so excited for Dread because but hearing people trying to re- just holding on to these games and trying to sell them back at later price, I feel defeats the purpose of the game in general. I mean, if it were a piece of art or a piece of like, you know, let's stick with a piece of art. If it were a piece of art, I can understand that because that's a piece of art. Its function is to hang on a wall and be and be looked at and you contemplate it. Whereas with video games or or films or anything, those are especially video games since they're a more interactive media that you actually have to sit down and play. You have to have a system to use it or be able to you interact with it, and that's how you progress the story. Yeah. So like yeah. seeing things like Wada, like let's get this, let's let's get this uh, video game and encase it in plastic. It's like, but you're kind of defeating the purpose of the game. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. I I tend to think of games as, uh, you know commercial art that's designed for consumption mm-hmm. um the commercial element kind of balances out the art element i mean i talk to a lot of people who think oh games are art you know and on and on and on but at the same time games are parts of businesses they're products yes. that are meant to be purchased and used for specific intended purposes um you know we've all seen at this point the whole article about uh Super Mario 64 is selling for $1.5 million. Not, not only that, ugh, I have so many things to say about that, but <laughs> you keep it brief because even on the bloody on the bloody thing that when they put that out, it's like that's a million. It, it had the million seller ribbon on the box. So it's not even a first print or a first right, one. Right, right, right. This was a reprint because they know they, yeah. it sold them over a million copies. Let's get, let's get more people to buy it. Right. And yeah, there's like so many other things about that. Because uh, I don't know if you saw the videos that Carl Drops did, because I've watched those videos, and it's like, yeah, this is all just sus and scummy, and I don't like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, entirely. I mean, and that's starting to treat these items um, for – how to phrase it? Starting to treat these items for perceived value over intrinsic value, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intrinsic value of the game is to play the game. The perceived value of the game is whatever you can get out of WADA, whatever you can get off eBay on and on and on. Uh, obviously that's, that's a very, that's a very deep hole. Um, there was something you said earlier that I wanted to circle back to. And I think, I think I lost it somewhere oh, no. out there, but that's what, I mean, it happens as a podcast, you know, yeah, 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 you've been doing podcasts, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we could both agree that uh, purchasing games to play games is rad. Uh, if somebody doesn't do that, I don't know that. I don't know that that's like inherently unethical or immoral. Uh, so I was thinking about this recently, talking with my wife. What is it about scalping that makes so many people uncomfortable? Uh, and in that, oh, this is what I want to circle back to: okay. you scalping, um, scalping, and flipping of retro, or scalping of new games and flipping of retro games are kind of the same thing, but also very different, right? They are. They are. Yeah. Um, um, I don't think that people are as like uncomfortable with flipping retro games as they are with scalping new games. But what were you going to say, Ben? No, I was, actually, I was going to answer that question. Um, the reason, or to put a more perspective on how, why I see when people want to flip retro games, because I do understand why some people would see retro games as an investment. While I'm not 100% fan of it, 
I can see things like, oh, I've had this game for years. I've played so many times, but I don't yeah. want to play it anymore. Or you need some more space and you just and you make the tough personal decisions like I'm going to part with this. And then you find out, oh, I could sell this for a yeah. few hundred dollars on eBay. Like if some guy uh, had like a CIB copy of Shantae, like the original Shantae. Yeah. From the color, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're just looking at this like, you know, I play this game many times. Um, I have it digitally. Um, you know what? I don't need this hard copy anymore. I'm going to sell right. it on eBay. And then they find out that they can sell it for $500 CIB. It's like, yeah. And if one day like my original box of copy of kingdom hearts would even though it's not the condition is not the best it's been played thousands of times if i find out that that game i could sell that game for three hundred dollars more then yeah i'll do yeah I'll sell it but, yeah i don't think that that's i don't think that that's flipping right because yeah. like that's somebody selling off their collection mm -hmm. flipping i guess would be more like if you bought uh something off ebay for 400 and then just turn around and put it right back on for five Oh, yeah, um, so that's... like I've done that exact same thing too that you've described with like mm -hmm. I had a PlayStation One game, uh, Misadventures of Tron Pond, uh, <gasps> one of the rare no! ones. <laughs> no! Yeah, dude, from childhood. Oh, and here's the, here's the thing: is it had a five dollar sticker on it because I tried to sell it off at a yard sale once. Oh, no, so man. I put that up a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, that's <laughs> an emotional story. I uh I put that up on eBay for like a buy it now like 450 and realized that $450 Oh, you're going to show it to me. Huh? You have it? Is that I it? I have the other two. Oh, okay. Oh so, yeah. I mean, this one the case is a little nicked up, but I mean the game is fine the manuals go. Yeah, the man, the yeah. case is a little nicked. I think something fell in it so the case is cracked, but still I mean the game is fine, but this is like my most I do. I got both of these at Blockbuster for I think five dollars and ten dollars. Oh uh, yeah, back in the day, yeah, yeah, yeah back in the day. How but... I got Misadventures of Tron Bond, oh, but I no. realized that that's a white whale for me right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I realized that for me, four hundred fifty dollars was more valuable than an item that would sit on my shelf. So, I. Wrong. I mean, I used the money to pay off a few bills, bought my kids a nice little swing set for the backyard, bought up some other games that I knew I would play. And I'd played Met or Misadventures of Tron Bon several times. But what I did is I sold it off and then I went on PS3 and downloaded it for like $3. There you go. <laughs> it's kind of like owning it, not in the same capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, really loved the game. But um, so again, yeah, I don't think that that's flipping. I don't know that we have a term for it. It's just selling off your old stuff. It's just, I think it's just like making room or, or maybe like passing the torch. Cause who knows that copy of trombone probably went to another, to another fan. Hope. I mean, we hope it goes right. To Hopefully yeah. not to a flipper. Oh yeah. Not to a flipper. Bad, yeah. But I mean, so with flippers, once again, cause these games have been out. Cause a lot of the games, mm -hmm. cause these games have been out. And also if you want to make the, the argument for emulation, you could probably emulate a uh, trombone somewhere. I mean, emulation. I'm for because it does a great job of preserving games. But once again, it's legal. It's a like a legal gray area, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm very much like I don't like doing legal gray areas because a I'm scared, and b also I'm not very computer savvy. Mm -hmm. But going to going back to the scalper part, the reason I don't the reason the scalpers I feel are scummy, and I've even said this on my podcast that they're the scum of the earth, is because they are trying to take away something that they know is profitable. 
and they're trying to add a little more to them and take away something because they're like, oh, a fan will pay this much money because now it's officially scarce. Yeah. Whereas it's taking you, advantage of people. Is exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a taking advantage of people. And as a fan of Metroid, and I find out that Metroid has like it the art book is gorgeous, the art cards are great, and the steel book is just absolutely stunning. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, scalpers are selling this for like two times the MSRP value. I'm like, no. Or even when the NES classic hit the scene. I don't think mm -hmm. Nintendo realized how many people wanted an NES classic. This when I first saw that commercial, I was like, oh, that's something for me. I yeah. still have my original NES, but I don't have a lot of my old games because I sold a bunch of my old games because I needed to make space. But here is this little mini console that will hook up to my HDTV, looks absolutely gorgeous, and has a bunch of NES games that are like, hey, this is a good core system. It doesn't have everything, but it has the games I want to play for my NES. All of a sudden, it gets sold out, and people are selling it for like 300 bucks. And I'm like, this is a $60 thing, and you're selling it for how much? Yeah, yeah, mind-blowing. And that was one that, that stung. Uh, yeah. I was really interested in that item as well finally ended up getting one but my goodness the now it's so preemptive with scalping mm -hmm. you know an item will be announced and you'll see people doing uh what's essentially discovered illegal listings on mm -hmm. ebay uh, illegal is a strong word but the ebay listing policy doesn't let you list items that have not been released yet mm -hmm. so if you see a listing from a scalper selling say metroid dread collector's edition before that was actually available on the market you can report those and i, I would encourage I... people to report people listing uh like listings like that i should because i most definitely did i was checking the nintendo website i was checking amazon i was checking best buy all these different gamestop i was checking all these different retailers if to see if they had if um they were to turn the pre-orders back on for the special edition I mean, I caved and I thought, if I have to get the standard, I'll just get the standard. But I really wanted that special edition. I really wanted the steel book and all the, the bells and whistles it came with. Mm -hmm. And just seeing, I would see things on eBay, because it retailed for $90, the special edition. It retailed around 80 90 bucks around there. And people would say, hey, I have a pre-order copy of Metroid Dread. It could be, this copy of the game can be yours for $150, $100, or just, just use like just like maliciously marking up the price of this of this game and it's like why would you do this dude it's like yeah. the same scalpers for the ps5 it's like oh the ps5 is not already expensive enough but i have like a bunch but i could sell them to you for seven hundred dollars to for a 200 dollars markup yeah profiteering uh you know, taking advantage of people uh it's not even producing a product it's no. it's just reselling a product so yeah i i'm with those people that think that's pretty dirty business yeah, yeah it, it is to me that is like it is a one of the worst video game practices because you know you know people want these things mm -hmm. i kind of i do kind of laugh at some of the internet parents who who would go online and be like oh how all these adults trying to get playstation 5s but they're taking away from kids and the christmas tree we want playstation 5s because we want to play on the playstation 5 i understand little timmy might want a playstation 5 too but we want it more <laughs> and not to take away from the kid because i was definitely a kid at christmas who uh, i don't know how my dad got it but he got a wii until that for christmas 2006 the year it came out he uh, uh he was able to find one he got it for me i don't know what how hard he had to fight i don't know if he got into a fist fight at gamestop to get one but 
<clears throat> Christmas morning, I opened it up and there it was. Magical feeling, definitely. It was. Oh yeah. Yeah. So going to uh, the physical. So trying to, I say bridge the gap because we mentioned earlier, like you had a copy of Tron Bond physical, and then you eventually got it on your PS3 digitally. Um, do you feel that getting games digitally or even the minis, like I feel like I don't need to collect for SNES games or even Justice games because I now can play a bunch of those games via my mini or through the NSO, the Nintendo Switch Online service. Do you feel like having those retro games available on those services is a good thing or do you still feel that we should still preserve the physical copies? So uh, there's a couple of things there I think worth mentioning. Um, Mm -hmm. One is you're not going to see all games on those services. You're just not. Um, That comes down to licensing, publishing Mm -hmm. rights, all that sort of thing. I recently wrote an article uh, a month or two ago, uh, Whatever Happened to Quintet? Quintet, for those of you that don't, may, might not recognize the name, did uh, Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Terra Enigma, Act Razor, um, mm. some of those games for the Super Nintendo that are widely loved. Um, the company's uh, founders disappeared. And so, who owns the publishing rights? Who owns the licenses to these things? Act Razor evidently has been released multiple times um, mm-hmm. through the years, it was on the Wii. Uh, they recently did Act Razor Renaissance, of course, mm-hmm. um, but there's never been a re-release of Soul Blazer, Terra Enigma, Illusion of Guy, anything like that. Um, and those those might just die with those founders. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of again, this is commercial art. So there's mm-hmm. licensing, there's publishing, there's all of those things to think about. Um, it's not, and I've heard it said, why doesn't Nintendo just throw everything? on the Nintendo Switch service for Super Nintendo N64 and and NES. They can't. They just can't. You cannot expect to see the home improvement Super Nintendo game on (laughs) Nintendo Switch Online. You just will not be able to see that because the licensing for that has got to be somewhere in somebody's basement. Um, Let's see. Who owned that? Let's see. That came out of Fox, but I, I can only assume Disney owns it now. Right, like, but then you have the, the likeness of the of the actors, and there's yeah, all bad. kinds of yeah. There's I'm, what a mess. I mean, I'm glad it's not my job. Let's say that, yeah. right? Uh, and also, if I, if I may, to sure. also talk about your point, you mentioned the home improvement SNES game. You, I mean, people will say like, "Oh, I want all these games." I was like, "You sure you want all the bad ones on there too?" Right, I mean, right, right. Say, now, once again, my my someone Mega Man Legends, my favorite Mega Man game of all time. It's, I love that game. I love that series. I'm still mad that Capcom canceled Mega Man Legends 3. But once again, to me, that is that is absolute gold. But to someone else, they may think, oh, that's more copper or silver. Or someone might say it's absolute garbage. I understand that a lot of um, a lot of game companies, like, they have a grand library of games. But, of course, not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's mm-hmm. going to like – not everyone loves Super Mario World. Not everyone loves right. Illusion of Gaia or the original Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And you get all these different things. But still – there are some games on there that we can't agree. It's like, they're not the best games. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I won't miss like a bunch of movie tie-in games on mm-hmm. say, on like the PlayStation, on like the, on the Nintendo Switch service. I'm not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned was preservation. Preservation, mm-hmm. I have some thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Uh, preservation gets thrown around a lot, I think, uh, especially in the emulation scene. I think that a lot of people are too ready to think that 
you know, I can emulate home improvement. Therefore, I'm preserving home improvement. I really don't think you are. I really don't think that having a bunch of dead laptops in your closet from the past 10 years <laughs> is preservation when you just downloaded them with a virus. Um, I think that it comes down to, and that's tongue in cheek, obviously, but I think it comes down to ownership. Do you own a ROM again? Like when I down with, when I emulate something, I don't count that as part of my, of my collection. Mm -hmm. Even when you download something, do you own that game or do you own the license to access that software? So right. some, there's some people have tried to play, you know, technical word games with that. When I buy a game physical, I know I own that game physical. I can lend it out to somebody. I can sell it again if I want to. It is my personal possession. I can't resell. I can't I can't lend out um, a digital game unless the storefront has that specifically. And even worse, if the storefront decides to delist the game, if the storefront closes, it's gone. It's gone. If the storefront, like, what was everybody worried about not too long ago with the PS3, PSN shutting down? People yeah. were like, are they going to take away all my games? I don't have to worry about if tomorrow PlayStation is like, we're not making any more games, folks. All the services cutting down. I still get to keep all my PlayStation games. Right. That is the difference of ownership. Another thing is different storefronts. The, the PSN on PS3 is different from the PSN on the PS4. You can get games on the PS3 that you can't get on the PS4. So is that preserving in that eventually that PS3 isn't going to be able to access the internet, isn't it going to be able to access a store, might not even run at some point. The thing is, though, that I wrote down in trying to pursue this line of thinking, mm -hmm. uh, what is ownership and what is impermanence, is... Uh, a good friend of mine, one of the writers at our site, uh, Maggie mentioned this. She said, both are impermanent. Um, moth and rust destroy, whether we like it or not. Uh, hardware corrupts, uh, batteries, you know, start, uh, failing. Um, somebody can come in and steal these things. I own them, but that doesn't mean that I get to keep them forever. I don't right. know that anything physical lasts forever. I don't know that anything digital lasts forever. You know, right now, yeah, uh, as, long as, the, as long as the servers are still up and running, sure. Right. But or if it's if the hard drive you plug into the hard drive and and like oh, you like yeah, because I do I do see this argument. I do see this argument quite a bit because there might come a day where something could happen to the PlayStation servers and my entire online game library, unless that game was already saved to my PS4 hard drive, mm -hmm. my library could get wiped. Right, 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 right. It could be and they could be gone. But then. My physical PlayStation 4 games, I was even talking to the episode I recorded previous to this, um, Retro Zoe, because she talks about uh, disc rot, how some discs can get can rot away or cartridges won't work. I'm scared to plug my ET cartridge or even my Space Invaders cartridge if I find a 2600 <laughs> and some reason the game won't boot up. Yeah. Now, I mean, yes, I have I the circuit board, but then it's like, what's good is this if I, I can't get power to the if I can't get power to the cartridge and it recognizes and the board recognizes what it is. Yeah. I think at this point of, uh, you know, the, the most issues that I've had are with the oldest stuff. So that for me is, is NES. I have in television and I have Atari 2600. I've played those a couple of times. They can run fairly reliably with a little bit of alcohol and some wiping. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, NES though, starting to run into 
you know, like saves not working, mm -hmm. um, the spring on the system itself not functioning properly, not getting the connection that mm -hmm. you need exactly. Uh, I have heard of disc rot. I don't know how long these items will last. They might last our lifetime. They might not. Thing is, you still own it, whether you're able to play it or not. Um, you will still always have that item, regardless of what degradative state it's in. I don't know if degradative is a term, but we used it there, so that's fine. Well, uh, it, it, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's a term because eventually things do degrade with time. Like, yeah, when I, like obviously things happen. My Mega Man Legends case, there's a huge crack on it because something yeah. fell on top of it, or I, I can't remember if something fell on it or I dropped it. But either way, yes, the game works. Mm -hmm. The manual might be a little misshapen, but the, the jewel case is kind of, it's kind of, it's got yeah. a crack on it. Yeah, exactly. So with, with digital, uh, to kind of summarize that up with digital, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're kind of left to the whims of whatever, you know, that digital thing is attached to. So I don't know. It's, it's, it is a gray area, I think, though. It's and mm -hmm. like we started off at the beginning of this conversation. I think it doesn't suit to get dogmatic about it. Right. Um, but there's definitely a lot of things to think about if you start talking yeah. about preservation. Right. So walking away from preservation and going to digital and physical at like. So for this conversation, I'm going to define the term accessibility. Accessibility for this conversation is you being able to play a game mm -hmm. that's we're gonna and for this conversation that's where we're gonna define it so just the other day at the time of this recording banjo kazooie just dropped on the nintendo 64 online service for the nintendo switch that makes me ecstatic because even though i grew up with an n64 i had an n64 and unfortunately i lost it along with my entire collection once again another ding because i told the story a billion times <laughs> i never owned or had the ability to play banjo kazooie now I do, and I with no really. I mean, besides me paying for the year of the of the NSO, I could turn on my Switch, sit down, and start this classic game that's now being sold. A physical cartridge is being sold for well over fifty to maybe seventy dollars, give or take. I haven't checked how much Banjo Kazooie costs now, but that's an expensive game, mm -hmm. and I can now still sit down and play the game. Yeah. Uh... You know, so I guess games as service so far digitally, we've talked about uh, digital storefronts, I think a lot mm -hmm. games as as a service is, you know, <laughs> games as streaming or whatever uh, is something. Oh, no, I think I lost him. No, no, Red, come back. Come back. Oh, this is going to be a fun part. So welcome back, Mage. Uh, unfortunately, Mage's power went out right in the middle of a conversation. So I'm like, oh, no, I think I lost him. So we'll probably just like cut that in and we'll start right from here. So, yeah. Good to have you back. Sorry that. So do you remember what you were saying? Because you right when you you were into a good spot of your, of your sentence and then you just like your power just decided to go lol XD and get out. Yeah, I was just about to make a killer point. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I was going to say. But uh, we were, I think, getting into talking about not just digital storefronts, but mm -hmm. uh, games as a service. Games as services, um, yeah. So games that you know that you're streaming now. That to me seems even further of a distance of uh, of ownership. 
or mm -hmm. distance from ownership because now you're right. not even downloading something you're just mm -hmm. playing something that's available to be streamed and that just like netflix uh is something where they, any day they could just delist something they could just take True. something off if they wanted to or if there was a licensing issue mm -hmm. you mentioned banjo kazooie god forbid this happens because you're excited to play god or to play banjo kazooie but we all know about the acquisition that happened recently mm -hmm. uh with the whole blizzard activision thing uh, yeah. and xbox and all that uh so there's a lot going on at xbox uh let's say xbox you know, and Nintendo start a, a food fight. I don't know I, how licensing will all work for that. But what if tomorrow Nintendo's like, we got to take down Banjo-Kazooie. Sorry. Anybody who's halfway through, anybody who's interested in starting it just now does not have that option because mm -hmm. you've just been using their service to access that game. You haven't right. really purchased it. You haven't really, you know, developed any sort of sense of ownership over it. So I think that that's distinctly a big difference as as we start mm -hmm. to see the future of gaming get into services, right? Uh, a huge difference between that and physical. Now, I for especially the NSO, um, the NSO I I don't really see as I I own the game because I know I don't because this mm -hmm. is a service that I pay through through Nintendo. It's a subscription service, like you said. It's just like Netflix, right? But the fact that I'm able to play Musha on the Genesis part, which is the one game that's not on the mini, or right. <laughs> I can play Banjo-Kazooie and Paper Mario, um, I do see it as a double-edged sword, but at the same time, I feel the pros far outweigh the cons in the mm -hmm. fact that I can play this game. Yeah. It's it's true. True. You it's mentioned true. access, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that access is specifically, I think, what Games as Service is designed for. And right. so the fact that you have access to all those games now by just playing us paying a simple subscription service is really awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely don't don't get me wrong. I think that's a really cool thing. Um, personally, I think of that as supplementary to mm -hmm. whatever it is that I want to actually own um, so that I can play it whenever I want, just in case some crap goes down <laughs> and they have to take it down. But. If you don't have access to the game otherwise, that's a great way to have access yeah. to the game. Because the way I see it is, would I rather pay, like, because I don't have an N64 anymore. I mean, I want one, don't get me wrong, but would I rather pay two, like, the one I want at my at a trade show that I, I can go to is around 200 bucks. Do I want to pay 200 bucks for the lime for the green see-through N64 and another 60 to 70 on top of that for Banjo-Kazooie? Or do I just can I just turn on my switch and play it right now? Right, right, right. What do I, what's the better offer? The, the better offer is for me to sit down and play it. Would yeah, I like yeah. to own Banjo-Kazooie someday? Of course I would. Would I like to own a bunch of the games that I can play on this, on the service? Of course I would. But once again, I go to these store, I go to these stores, I go to these, um, these trade shows and I see how much these games cost. Breath of Fire, $100. Breath of Fire 2, $200. Or just like, prices go up prices going up which is me which kind of drives me to the service is like mm -hmm. i can still play this game is the emulation perfect probably not i'm once again i'm not well versed in emulation or or um how emulation software works so i can't really say but i did play mario 60 mario kart 64 on my on on my switch for the nso and to me it worked just fine I don't yeah. see any problems. I don't see, I mean, it looks like the N64 game I know and love, and that's what I'm here for. Yeah, that was one of the more baffling uh, issues with the NSO. You saw a lot of people 
screenshotting like Ocarina mm-hmm. of Time and being mm-hmm. like this this emulation is really wonky. I don't understand how any of that works. Um, it's weird. Why. It's weird to me that like they would emulate it officially and it not be perfect. Mm-hmm. But uh, whatever the issue is there, that's a that's a weird. I should hope that that's not a pervasive issue as we start to get into the future of games as services. Yeah, I I hope so too. And and to be perfectly honest, the first time I played Ocarina was on my 3DS. So I was like, I'm like, I'm looking at the the, the classic N64 screenshots of Ocarina. I'm like, if I want to play Ocarina, I'm just going to play on my 3DS. That's the better version. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there you Water go. Temple is less of a pain in the ass. And then you get some people say, oh, you haven't really played Ocarina until you play on the N64. It's like, oh. dude, I don't want to subject myself to the torture of constantly going to equip the Iron Boots, then going back and going back and forth. I could just do it with a button on my 3DS. It's a quality of life improvement. I still play the damn game. The purists, the purists. I run into that a lot in retro gaming. Um, there is OG hardware purists. Mm-hmm. I I like OG OG hardware. I like because again I I critique games. So mm-hmm. if a game was released in a state in which there was a lack of quality of life features, that to me is interesting because then that that to me uh, brings up ideas of like the developers didn't think of that or they didn't want to include it or they. They were just like, ah, we don't have the time or finances to include it for whatever reason. Um, So OG hardware is interesting, Mm -hmm. but I think it's weird when people are like, OG hardware is the only way to play these games. I I have a CRT. I love having a CRT. I run into people who are like, a CRT is the only way to play retro games. I'm like, I'm sorry. They make other TVs. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. If you still enjoy it and have, you know, and experience whatever that enjoyment means for you, then that's that's fine. It's I mean, just, I don't have yeah. I don't have room for a CRT TV. There's there's two TVs in my house, one right here and one downstairs. Okay. But they're high definition flat screen TVs, and they're yeah. they're, yes. they're they're uh, what you call it? They're better TVs, and I don't need to move. I don't need. I don't have a. Also, I don't need to beg my friends to help move this heavy-ass CRT TV because I did that when my mom moved, and that oh, was not yeah. fun taking that up the stairs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm sorry for the close-up, mm-hmm. but uh, I picked up my camera here. Let me show yeah. you this this CRT right. monster down here. That, that is – that's a Wii U box right there. That's Tom there. Mm-hmm. That's a Wii U yeah. box. Uh, it is humongous. It's a 37-inch CRT that I got right. for free because people – don't want to move these things mm-hmm. and I, then i had to move it across the right. country so trying to move a set a 37 inch crt is no freaking joke i mean those things no, are heavy because those things how heavy do you think that is 60 70 pounds give or take maybe so when i picked it up the guy initially wanted like 15 bucks for it and he's like uh-huh. tell you what if you can lift it yourself, you're going to have it for free. And I tried. I could not. I humongous. I couldn't get my arms around or like yeah. the back of it or get a grip on it. Um, I have to, you know, you kind of have to like walk it in order mm-hmm. to get it into position or use a dolly. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit more than 60, I can imagine. I haven't yeah. weighed it, so I don't, I don't know. I remember my mom's CRT when she had me help her move to her current place. We took we had to go up the stairs into our apartment and I was holding the CRT or super heavy CRT that was in my old house before my parents split and the plastic where it would set on top of like the mantle or whatever table it would be on 
was digging into my hands and it was like one of the most painful things I could experience. And I'm yeah. trying to lug this. I mean, she was helping me, but still it was a, I was taking the brunt of the weight. The plastic was digging into my hands. There was no really good way for me to grip it and to put it safely on TV without either squishing or possibly chopping my own fingers off. Yeah. Yikes. 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 So um, there's, there's definitely an element of fun to be had with OG hardware and CRTs. If you have the space for it, uh, if you can maintain those things. Um, But I don't think it's the only way to play. So I played Super Metroid thanks to my mini. Mm-hmm. I will still say I played Super Metroid. Yet did were there a few oh, yeah. times did I exploit the save state? Maybe. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, there are parts where on that game where you have to do really perfect. And I didn't want to go all the way back, start over again, because I was on a time crunch. I wanted to beat these games before Dread came out. Um I say like when now, I technically beat Mega Man 1 and 2 and 3 with the rewind feature because that yellow demon just pisses me off so much. <laughs> and it's absolutely just, it's hard. It is hard. These are yeah. hard games. And I understand some people say you didn't actually beat it because you used the rewind feature. I compl- I get what they're saying. And even I subscribed to the fact. I was like, yeah, I might have not actually beaten it, but I saw the end instead of going to YouTube. Right. Uh, I've heard that a lot. Uh, you know, you didn't actually beat it. Uh, I, people just get worked up about crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what of all the things in this broken world to get upset about, mm-hmm. you got upset because somebody used a save state on Zelda two. Uh, I, if it's, if it's a game that I think I'm going to need. So like, here's a, here's a couple examples. Most recent games that I beat today. I beat, uh, the magical quest starring Mickey mouse. Oh boy. Oh, that was, Oh, that was no. on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, Super Nintendo. Oh, Super there, Nintendo. Okay. There's a there's a Genesis version, I think, but I played the Super Nintendo version. Yeah, uh, um, Castle of Illusion is on the Genesis, but there's also another. That's right. Yeah, there's also two. It's funny because like uh, Sega got the licensing from Disney to put uh, two Mickey Mouse games on the mini, so I'm like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. No, the the licensing on the mini blew my mind. I mean, yeah. there are games on there were like, you got this. Wow. <laughs> One of the the reasons why I like my Sega Genesis Mini so much is like, damn, I didn't think this was available, but sweet. Yeah, no, that's pretty rad. Uh, So I beat Magical Quest uh, starring Mm -hmm. Mickey Mouse, and uh, it was it was doable without save states because mostly because they give you infinite continues. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I used a save state, say in front of a boss that I was having trouble with, what am I really doing? I'm essentially just saving time really because i would make those number of mistakes i'll still make the same number of mistakes but instead of going back to the start of the fight or back to the start of the level i just go back to the point at which i used the save state so with a game like that though it was fine it was breezy enough they could just play it um, and not have to rely on that but the other game that i beat recently was spider-man and venom maximum carnage and that freaking game <laughs> there is no way i have no idea how anybody could beat that game without using save states i had to consult three guides two videos and spam save states in order to get just get through that thing uh it was not enough to just like use save states at the start of a boss fight because you just get swamped in that game yeah. so did i really beat it heck yeah i really beat it because the only thing that I saved myself doing was having to start the game over again. Mm-hmm. I still got to learn the boss patterns. I still got to do you know all those difficult things. 
Um, but yeah, again, that gets into like the purist territory. I'm not yeah. a purist. I, I don't yeah. buy any of that stuff. I I mean, there's a I guess there's a sense of um, I don't want to say accomplishment, but maybe like a sense of I have the I maybe a sense of pride. That's a better word to or a yeah. better way to describe it. It's like I have the original hardware. I have the original N64, the original Super Nintendo or Genesis or whatever you, you have. I have the original cartridges. I I got the original cartridge or I hunted it down or I've had the same one since the 90s or 80s or whatever. I do get there's a sense of pride and you can beat those games or like say someone who could sit down and beat Contra all the way through without dying. That's great. I need the freaking Konami code just to even get through <laughs> level one of Contra. Yeah. That game is just stupid hard. Yeah. And yeah. also, like you said, you save time. Like with Metro, with Super Metroid, I use the save states to, if I knew I was going to a room that was going to be difficult for me, I would save a state because I know it's like, man, it's been a long time since I last saved my game. I'm going to hit the save state here. So if I constantly die or I can't get this puzzle just right, I can start over without having to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. Now I will say that using save states goes against playing the intended experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the degree to which that matters to a person individually varies dramatically. Uh, the Again, so for me, as somebody who writes about the games, the intended experience is, is fairly important. But mm -hmm. that's not for everybody. Uh, the other thing is, you're absolutely right. If you told me that you beat Zelda 2 uh, and you told me you didn't use save states, I would be like, dang, Ben, that's pretty impressive. But then mm -hmm. if you said use save states, I'd be like, GG, dude. I mean, that's yeah. great. It's a great game. I'm glad you played it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. uh, still the same sort of thing, but I think there's definitely a competitive atmosphere. In oh, here. yeah. Uh, and again, if that makes you happy, that's awesome. I just don't think that that needs to overlap and bleed into everything. People don't need, again, with the flexing of collections, right? Mm -hmm. People don't need to flex collections. People don't need to flex their skills. Um, you know, I've been saying if that makes you happy a lot throughout this podcast, but if it makes you happy to like compare yourself to other people and make yourself be feel better than, than others by putting others down, that's not something that I'm cool with. Uh, if it makes you happy, you should stop doing that. Yeah. So. I mean, there's already enough hate and, and anger yeah. on, in the, in the world already. We don't need that in video games. Come on. No, we, we definitely don't. Um, yeah. so and also it also comes down to like like you said time saver i have a full-time job you have a full-time job i even have jobs on top of my full-time job besides this this is just a passion project i love doing but once again it's it's i'm taking time away from doing other things mm -hmm. so when i do sit down and play a game like like <clears throat> if i was playing like most game, i'm playing banjo kazooie right i finally sit down i start banjo kazooie and then I'm playing, I'm getting a few of the jiggies, I'm getting a few, I'm collecting. And all of a sudden my brain goes, oh crap, I have to do X, Y, and Z before my girlfriend gets home. Do I pause the game or do I just like turn it off and hit, because I knew if I turn it off on the, my original N64 without saving it, I'm screwed. I lost all my progress. But with a save state, I'm like, cool, save it. I can turn my console off and get to work and do what I need to do. Yeah, it's a modern convenience. It's a modern yeah. convenience. Uh, back in the day, I remember people just leaving systems on because you didn't have any other option in that regard. Uh, yeah. There was a uh, uh, beg your pardon one second, actually. No, I think that's because you were talking about intended purpose, and I do re realize that say was Super Metroid. The intended purpose was to you, you when you get to a save room, congratulations, you get to save room. 
But at the same time, they couldn't have imagined that we would be able to play these games and just save whenever we want. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love save points. Like when I'm in a, when I'm playing through Symphony of the Night right now, and you better believe when I get to a save room, I breathe a huge sigh of relief. Because as far as I know, I there's no such thing as save states in that game. You it's like it's essentially just the ROM on the PlayStation 4 hard drive. You can play it, but it's like the exact same game, just with a few audio tweaks here and there. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't concern myself too much with, with safe states. I know there's people that get uppity about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people that get uppity about anything. There are. So, yeah. Uh, you still beat it. I would say, I mean, you definitely, you definitely still did, uh, talking about, uh, another one that I beat recently, Castlevania, uh, Castlevania two, not Castlevania mm. 64, Castlevania two, um, is one of those games that I don't see how you could get through it in any reasonable time uh, without a guide at the very least. <laughs> and I also use save states because it's difficult to navigate. Uh, I read that a developer said the uh, the NPCs in that game straight up lie to you. Mm. Uh, there's there's a ton of cryptic clues. There are things like to progress at at two points in the game. Um, you have to squat on a cliff until the camera pans down or a tornado comes and carries you through a wall. How am I supposed to know that when the clue Not. for that is super, <clears throat> super cryptic? So yeah. for things like that, uh, you know, that might have been the intended experience back then. That's where I would start to use terminology like aged well. I don't think that things like that have particularly aged well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now with a guide, the game is fairly breezy you know it took two two uh two weeks playing once a week in order to get mm-hmm. it done pretty sure so yep um a friend of mine and he was also a former guest on the show patrick he talked about castlevania 2 being a nintendo power game whereas cool you have it but you need the nintendo power guide or you need that issue nintendo power to figure out how to beat that game yeah the game was yeah. just so bonkers difficult yeah and that doesn't that that definitely doesn't speak to good intrinsic design, in my opinion, where you have mm-hmm. to get a magazine and <laughs> a subscription yeah. in order to help you finish mm-hmm. the game. I mean, I use got the reason why I use guides like I'm playing. I'm also playing Final Fantasy three on my 3DS. Really, it's just I use a guide just so it could point me where to go. Yeah. It's like, hey, go here. Here are the side quests you can do at this moment. So if you want to do them, cool. But if you want to wait, that's fine. It's really just go that way. But I still get to experience the story myself. And mm-hmm. the way I see it, I know we're this we're kind of tangenting off of physical and digital games, but the way I see it, I'm still the one putting doing the button inputs. I'm mm-hmm. still the one who's who's building my party the way I want it. I'm still the one who's fighting, um, who's fighting the bosses. And even though I know, hey, I need to go from this point to that point to progress the story, I can also go that way to do a side dungeon or do a side quest. Yeah, there are certain instances where I'm like a blind playthrough is what I look for. And then there's other instances where like I start playing or like right when I knew I was going to play Castlevania Mm 2, I got a guide right away. Right away when I started playing Legend of Mana, I knew I'm going to want a guide because certain things are just built for that degree of getting lost in complexity and systems that don't make sense. Um, But other games, if it's more of like a breezy RPG, especially in 16-bit era, Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm like, I'll, I'll try it blind and see how far I can get. But I think it definitely depends on, or like a shmup. Like if I'm playing a shmup that you just shoot, 
yeah. you know, I don't really need a guide too much unless it gets stuck on a boss or something. But uh, otherwise, yeah. So I, did, I think there's just different degrees there for sure. Yeah. I mean, once again, as we said at the beginning of this episode, it's all about personal preference. Yeah. So like I used a guide in Metroid because in Super Metroid, you're just dropped on the planet and you don't have nowhere. No, it's like, do I go left or do I go right? And of course, you eventually find your way. But I can easily see some poor gamer getting lost and like not figuring out, oh, I need to fight this underwater boss and I don't know how to get there. Oh, I can use the power bomb in the glass tube to open it up so I can go underwater. I would never have thought that as a kid. Right, right. A lot of those things, it's like you either get the hint from a friend or from a magazine Mm -hmm. or through a miracle of trial and error. Yeah, it just it just happens. Yeah, like what? Because uh, you mentioned I did you did a shout out for me on your Super Metroid episode about the wall jumping bit. Mm-hmm. I hate that bit. I love Super yeah. Metroid. The B yeah. bet but is it my favorite? No, but is it the best one? Yes. But God, that wall jumping bit just drove me up a literally yeah. drove me up a wall, figuratively. <laughs> yeah, I, just I, uh... couldn't, I couldn't get the timing right on the D pad, and thank God they fixed the wall jumping in, in Fusion and in Dread. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that timing is really bizarre in Super Metro. That's certainly an element of it uh, that I just don't think was really well executed. No, it was not. It was not good. But <clears throat> yeah, other than that, I think the main takeaway from this conversation, because I think we're winding down on time, um, it's essentially it's pr- it's your personal preference. I mean, both yourself and myself. We like having physicals, but we're not afraid to go into digitals because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Sometimes the digital game is a lot cheaper than the physical one. Or we were talking about access. Yes, it's an access to a digital file. You don't own it outright, but would you rather pay a, a giant sum of money to own it? I mean, if you do, that's all that's on you. That's great. But if you just want to play the game, then and you have access to it, I say go for it because as long as we're playing games, that's all that really matters, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, there's so many different elements. I mean, it's is like when you initially pitched uh, me guesting on your show and this was our topic, I was like, are we going to be able to have enough to say? And then you start to think about it. And there's a wealth of different topics that kind of overlap here and different mm-hmm. ideas and nuances to all of those things and then details and and, and all of that to run over. Um I still feel like we didn't cover everything because you oh, just no, it's I'm a sure huge we, subject, it, you know. This is this subject can definitely turn into a panel. I have ideas for shows where I get like a bunch of people and we have a, essentially a giant panel about uh, about certain topics. But this could definitely be one of those things where because I do find it interesting because I know what my preference is, but I do like hearing why certain people would say, "Oh, like yes, the purists were like, oh, I I want all original hardware, I want all original cartridges. That's great." And or even hearing people talk digitally is like, look, with my digital library, I can save so much room and I've saved so much money that I can I can focus on other things, but I'm still able to play these fantastic games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are definitely pros and cons on both sides of the of the aisle. But at the same time, it's like the main goal is I have a way to play a video game that either I grew up playing as a kid and I absolutely love it or I've never played. I never had a chance to play as a kid. And now I can hmm yeah and that it's i mean it's all about that personal enjoyment what, mm-hmm. whatever you get out of these games if that for you means digital or if that for you means physical 
know? Yeah. And like we, we talked about earlier, people think nostalgia is a dirty word. I don't think nostalgia is a dirty word. I think nostalgia is a good driving force to like wind to go back and play these games. That's why a lot of people are got into the retro gaming hobby during the pandemic because they were stuck at home, couldn't do anything. Yep. 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 And thought about better times in their lives, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm looking forward to um, I'm going to a retro game convention at the end of the at the end of February, and I'm looking forward to that. But at the same time, I'm I also realize like some games might be super expensive. But at the same time, people got back into the hobby again. They started playing games and realizing, man, these games are fun. What games did I miss out on as a kid? And they're discovering new games. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely an awesome experience. The discovery mm -hmm. that for me is why I I uh stick with retro gaming mm -hmm. um you just can't play everything from like 40 years past there's so much to discover still mm -hmm. um so that that definitely makes me really excited to keep exploring in the digital and in the, the in the physical realm yeah like one of the things if i had the time i would def it would be my goal to play through almost all the final fantasies except the mmos because i know <laughs> Because I know Final Fantasy Eleven, it's I either the servers are dead or they're dying. And fourteen, as much as I love to play Final Fantasy fourteen, I don't have the time. My P, I would rather I prefer to play that on my PC, but my PC is nowhere near enough powerful to play it. And I just and after hearing what everyone has had to say about fifteen, or not fifteen, excuse me, fourteen, it is a time steal. It will steal yeah, yeah. all of your time. And it's yeah. it's just like wow in the early days where people were addicted to wow. Now they're addicted to 14. Yeah. Uh as somebody who just quit playing 14, mm -hmm. uh, I can agree with that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you quit because it was super hard to get on because people yeah, were yeah. and the struggle that I had was getting anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. Um, the first I, I don't think I'm really prepped prepared to give like a formal critique of 14 because i haven't finished it but mm -hmm. the the fact that you're blowing up um what in a normal rpg would be an hour or a couple hours into 40 uh to serve as a world building introduction with you know sort of your your starting dungeons things like that it was just really slow mm -hmm. uh it's it's i think that there are a lot of great Final Fantasy 14 players who do new players a good service by letting them know that the start of the game is the weak point of the game. Uh, it's a it's a big hurdle to jump over, for mm -hmm. sure. So something to keep in mind. Okay, I mean once again, I don't have the, I don't have yeah. time. <laughs> I, dude, I barely have enough time just to sit down and play whatever a video. I can't even remember the last time I just sat down and played a game just to play it, and so it's either for a review or for something. It's like. I'm like, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, okay. Yeah. I like, I can't. I played, I last night I played Knockout City with a buddy of mine. But I'm talking about just like me, my controller, or my DS, and my just cozy and playing again. I can't remember the last time I did that. Yeah. Ah, uh, good. Uh, good. The good times are, are gone <laughs> in that regard. Where you yeah. could just sit down and, and chill. Now everything kind of has a utility to it. Yeah. Sure. But of course, this show exists. I also enjoy doing this show. So I guess you get you give what you can you you give a little bit you take a little bit too but anyways yeah red thank you so much for coming on dude this was a really good conversation i'm glad you were able to come on and talk about it with me hey thanks for having me on ben it was an appreciate uh it was an appreciating discussion i don't even know what i was going to say there it was a discussion <laughs> that i appreciated as yeah. well 
There, there you is. go. Now, Red, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me first and foremost at thepixels.com. That's the-pixels.com, formerly thewellreadmage.com. I'm also on Twitter at thewellreadmage. You can find me on Twitch at forward slash thewellreadmage. Pretty easy because I kind of use the same thing everywhere. On Twitch, we're doing weekly uh, giveaways, typically Wednesday nights, giving away hardware and stuff like that and some games sometimes. Uh, and then we also do the podcast Magecast. Uh, which just went to a weekly schedule. So look forward to that. Magecast, you can find just about anywhere the podcaster. Yeah, I got, I was, okay, I wasn't mad, but I was bummed that you did a Mega Man Legends episode a long time ago because <laughs> I want to be on that. But if you ever do a Final Fantasy 12 episode, hit me up. Okay. Yeah. I 12. have thoughts on 12. That would be 12. fun. 12 is my favorite. All right. I got, uh, you know, people were like, do you only do RPGs? Or, you know, so I kind of want to not just do RPGs. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to spread them out this year. Um, well, I, I think there was a time where more. I did like, you know, just a bunch of RPGs right in a row. Uh, yeah. But, you know, got to stick with the Red Mage motif and the variety. But I am definitely going to add you down for Final Fantasy 14 because I would love to talk about that with you. You mean Final Fantasy 12? 12. Oh, gosh. Not 14. I mean, oh, I, I haven't played oh. 14. You put you bring was like, so what's your class in 12 or what's your class of 14? I'm like, uh, the one with the sword. <laughs> it's difficult when uh, the only distinction is like a number yeah. between these in the title, but that's how it goes oh, yeah. with Final Definitely. Fantasy. Definitely. And of course, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Ben Maga 27. You can find the fake, the main show, Fickner Podcast, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Also, FicknerPodcast.com is the main hub for all things fake nerds this show is there all of our other shows are there so go check that out and of course like you because you write for a website i also write for a website god when this comes out i write for three now holy crap oh man not just, web no, not just websites i write um and i have a i'm getting published in old school gamer magazine when this i don't know if my first article was published yet when this comes out but it did cool but if not it's coming um i'm I'm going to start writing for GoNintendo.com when that gets launched. And I also now write for Fusion Gamer Magazine for Fusion Gaming out in England. That way. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now my time just got gobbled up by a bunch of like sitting from my computer going. Yeah. But, the writing life. Yeah. The right. But hey, I love it. And I get to write top, I get to write about one of my favorite topics of all time. And that's video games. So worth yeah, it. That's great. That definitely, definitely, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, definitely go check out Well Red Mage. He does have, I do, I am subscribed to your show. It's a really good show. I love it. And once again, I'm just like looking forward. It's like, what game should I ask to be on? Can't do <laughs> Legends, Can't do Kingdom Hearts 1, Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> there's always a game to find. There, there's always another game. So, anyways, once again, Red, thank you again so much for coming on. Can't wait to have you back. You have an open invite. If you ever have something you want to talk about, hit me up and we can figure something out. Thanks very much, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. And until next time, unpause.